as oil price not only goes higher, but the supply tightens, inflation is going to go higher. And with it, you'll have rates and bond yields. Well, hello there, my friends. Chris Marcus here with you for Arcadia Economics. And once again, it is Tuesday, so that means it's time for this week's physical silver market update. Andy Sheckman of Miles Franklin, where we always get an update on the premiums and any notes in the order flow, as well as go through the news affecting the precious metals market. So joining me, as I mentioned, is Andy Sheckman. And Andy, good to have you on in here today. How are you, sir? I'm great, Chris. How are you, buddy? Well, I'm doing well, and uh, as we were discussing beforehand, the, the rule book says to get some personal chat in there, so I'll mention that you overcame a, a broken car window, some missing dog teeth, and are still getting us the silver any way that you can, as the uh, old Mike Francesa theme song goes in a manner of speaking, so either yeah, case... You know. uh, Life happens, brother. Life happens when, you know, when you least expect it. Uh, my dog, my little buddy, had 11 teeth pulled, 11 teeth pulled last week. And, um, you know, I, I, don't, I can't quite imagine what that would be like. Um, but she's, uh, she's making it. She's on the mend. And, yeah, I got a call from my wife today at Walmart. Uh, two of her windows were shattered. Um, luckily, nothing was taken out of the car. Uh, they didn't find the gun in the safe department, I mean, in the uh, glove compartment, as we, I have a concealed permit. Uh, it's just one of these, one of these, uh, one of these days, man, one of these weeks where, you know, you're just itching for Friday and it's only, it's barely even uh, Tuesday yet. So it's all good, buddy. Don't feel sorry for me. Everyone's got their own trials and tribulations. You, know, you could always be a Jets fan, so it gets worse. Okay. Uh, how about a Vikings fan? I mean, yeah, it's you know, I heard I just read that they're contemplating trading Kirk Cousins to the Jets, so we'll be linked more than you actually know. But yeah, you know, shit happens in life. That's the bottom line. It doesn't matter who you are, everyone's got problems, and uh some are bigger than others and some aren't, but uh, making it through day by day. Yeah, well, you, you could also always be the Federal Reserve trying to bring down inflation with oil soaring and having a banking issue with rates already high. And in just another day, we'll we'll see what they have lined up for this week. Um, perhaps before we dig into the premiums, any thoughts or prognostications for this week's Fed meeting? Uh, look, well, first of all, about what you said, I mean, the, the Fed meeting, it's just noise as far as I'm concerned. Some people think they won't raise. Some people think they'll pause. No one thinks that they'll pivot. To me, it doesn't matter. It's just noise. They haven't been right in what they've told us for years now. Uh, it was transitory, then it was structural, and and then it was under control, and now it's it's going back up again. Look, you know, let's let's talk about one thing that you said that matters more than anything, and that's oil reaching $90 a barrel. I mean, energy is probably the most important commodity in the world because every single thing that we do or touch from driving your car or heating your home or manufacturing anything, mining or farming, even surfing the internet, I mean, anything takes fuel and energy. And 
you have to have cheap energy to keep inflation low. The higher the price of energy, the higher the input costs go into manufacturing, into farming, into driving, into surfing the internet, into paying your bills. Anything that we touch just about from an iPhone to a cheeseburger has a modicum of energy tied to it. Steve St. Angelo has, has been very good at showing us this throughout the years. And, and it's true. And when you see oil prices up 40% from their lows this summer, it becomes very concerning because we've drained the strategic stockpile of oil. And it was the draining of the strategic stockpile down to its lowest level basically ever that enabled the price of energy to come down and, and then with it bring inflation down to to three percent and and now you have gas prices up 11 percent over the last month 50 percent since 2020 and the oil reserves their lowest since 1983 and i i have to ask yourself i mean is this uh goofball that we call president going to go down as the first president in history to completely drain the strategic reserve stockpile, which is there for emergencies, not for political gain. And I guess the bottom line is as oil supply tightens and look at all the countries that have joined the BRICS. I mean, do you notice a common denominator here with Russia and the United Arab Emirates and Iran and Saudi Arabia? I mean, you're talking the majority of the oil production in the world. And as oil price not only goes higher, but the supply tightens, inflation is going to go higher. And with it, you'll have rates and bond yields. And between interest rates and bond yields rising along with inflation and oil prices, that's the perfect storm for this massively overinflated stock market, for the bond market, for the real estate market. It really is a very, very disconcerting thing if you if you extrapolate it out a little bit. And, you know, um, there's not much that we can do at this point because given how low the reserves are, we can't just keep selling the or 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 releasing the oil from the strategic stockpile or it becomes nothing. And uh you know, I think that if they go and try to buy oil at these elevated levels, they're just going to push the price of oil up even higher. It's a, again, it's a loop. You keep seeing these loops everywhere in banking and here in energy, and there's no way way out, really. I guess unless all of a sudden energy comes much lower. But you look at the production cuts that we're seeing in OPEC, and it only makes it makes it that much worse. And so, you know. Inflation is going to continue to drive higher, Chris, no matter what lies the Biden White House tells us. And I guess in a nutshell, energy prices have gone up, interest rates have gone up, and all of this is going to bleed into higher consumer prices. And I don't think the market gets this yet. Inflation ain't going anywhere. And, um, you know, yeah, the late, latest, latest CPI um, number came in at over 7% annualized. John Williams would tell you that's about half right, that it's actually closer to 14%. So, what do I think is going to come at the next Fed meeting? A bunch of crap. The same stuff that we heard before, a bunch of Fed speak nonsense. My guess is that they'll hold steady, maybe raise it by a quarter point or a half point. But the, the problem is, is that it's not the market that you control, or excuse me, the, the Fed that you control interest rates. It's the market. And ultimately, that is what will happen. And um, I don't think that this is a story that's even far, begun to be far from over. Whatever the Fed does to me is just a bunch of nonsense. And 
the most annoying part about the Fed meetings is that either just before or just after, whenever they come out with their their wisdom, the markets react, bang, they just react. Well, it's very short-sighted. This is a much bigger picture than the immediacy of a Fed announcement, whatever they will or will not do. The problems are baked into the cake and they know that. And uh, my guess is that they will pause or maybe at most raise by 25 or 50, I doubt 50, 25 basis points or pause. Again, it doesn't matter at all as far as I'm concerned because rates are going higher as is inflation, as is the cost of energy and as are the bond yields. So this is just beginning. And then as that spills over into the banks, well, buckle up. That's a whole nother problem all onto itself. You know, one last thing I just saw for the first time ever, the, the U.S. has a record 17.1 trillion in household debt, 12 trillion in mortgages, 1.6 trillion in auto loans. That's a record. 1.6 trillion in student loans, a record. And by the way, those student loans at 1.6 trillion is the largest asset of the United States. How's that for horseshit? Our government believes and wants to, to tell us that the largest asset of the United States is the $1.6 trillion student debt that they own, that they back. And it's an asset to them, a receivable, it's a liability to the American children or public. It's just a joke. And at the same time, the average house payment's about to hit $3,000 a month for the first time in history with $1 trillion in credit card debt, all-time high, and oil prices up 40% in three months. Mortgage rates at 7.5%. I mean, does this sound like a, an economy that's ready to go, that's going to have a soft landing? The stuff that we hear from the mainstream and from the Fed speak, all it is doing is is making the public unaware of what's coming at their face, like a 90 mile an hour fastball that they don't see coming. So yeah, I think that what's coming out of the Fed will just be a bunch of nonsense and listening to guys like you and me and other people out here who are telling the truth is a whole lot better than listening to what Jerome Powell, what lie will come out of his mouth later this week. Yeah, well, it sounds like at least the Jets are having a better season than someone. So there you go. And add on something that I've been digging into a little bit more lately, which I think people might be familiar with, although not as often talked about, is that when you have the rising interest rates, obviously that has its impact on demand, which we've seen to some degree, but that also does affect the producers, producers of oil, but not just oil, the producers of everything. So at some point you get an impact on the supply of things as well. So Absolutely. Another ideal scenario, another thing that will be rising would be the silver production cost, gold production cost, all mining production costs. So um, <clears throat> again, perhaps the best way to address this would be to have never taken interest rates down to 0%. Fortunately, we cannot do that, but uh, that well, think about this at that last statement, August, 2020, the 10-year yield was 0.534. And three years later, it's at um five and a half. I mean it's up tenfold in three years. The damage that that's doing to the banks, to the economy, um, is extraordinary. And as these higher interest payments are going to hit depositors much harder, loan repayments are starting, uh, new mortgages are, are dropping dramatically. But it's this emergency bank funding program that has, you know, uh 
to be paid back in six months. And, you know, this is just, this is going to, I think, really start to put some strain on the regional banks that I would argue that if it weren't for this, this regional, or excuse me, this uh, short-term funding program, a good number of the regional banks would be, and technically are insolvent. So this, this problem with the banks and with higher interest rates, it's not just about energy and the cost of everything. It's about the fact that the one thing the American public and all of its institutions have more than anything is debt. And as the rates continue to rise, which is a self-reinforcing loop as the banks have to sell 10-year treasuries that they're loaded up on, which we're trading at a percent or, or, or as a coupon, one, one and a half percent, a couple, three years ago, it is now at five and a half percent. So when they sell those bonds to meet redemptions, as everyone runs to the door to get their money back, rates go higher as the bonds go lower. And it's a and it just starts to feed on itself all the way through the economy. And yes, this is, I hate being doom and gloom, but people need to open their eyes. This, this is going to get ugly before it gets better. There is no way around it when you have manipulated the laws of mother nature the way that we have by suppressing interest rates for so long while making money so easy. The distortions that it, that it has created need to be paid back. And that's coming. I really, honest to God, I really do believe it's coming. And look, these banks are scheduled to sunset. These loans are sunsetting in six months. These regional banks will be insolvent. And uh, I think it's a very, very, very big deal. And we've seen $1 trillion move into global money market funds already in 2023. And that's not stopping because the money is leaving the regional banks, getting a half a percent going to the over 5% in the money markets. And do you remember what Rafi said in March or April when this was starting? And I and I I listened to it and you and I talked about it. Rafi said the Fed said they were going to stop it. They weren't going to allow the money markets to keep putting their money in there because of this exodus out of the banks. What have they done? Nothing. They haven't done a damn thing. And that's why all the money is going into the money markets because it's going into the overnight reverse repo market. But at the same time, people say, well, why is the money leaving the reverse repo market? Where is it going? It's the really big money who's just leaving all the systemic risk of the banks behind. Even those banks like JP and Goldman and City that we're told are too big to fail, screw them, they say. Let's just go right to the Fed, right to the treasury window at, at treasurydirect.gov and buy three month treasuries paying five and a third percent or six months at five and a half and screw all the bank risk. This is a problem. And the fact that the media isn't talking about this is just it's just gross because there's a lot of people that are going to be hurt when this breaks apart. So yeah, the higher rates, it affects mining. It affects farming. It affects the cost of energy. It affects the cost of lending and debt. It affects everything. And when you mess with mother nature, the way that the, the fed and the West have by suppressing interest rates and, and making money easy, allowing asset prices to reach unrealistic levels, they're going to, there's going to be hell to pay. And I believe that. And I wish that I, every time I came on these shows that I was more cheery talking about, you know, great things ahead, but I, I really feel people need to open their eyes. And if, if they will just look at it, even if they don't believe everything I'm saying, just look at it, look at the numbers. You, you can't come away from this saying, how do we get out of this? How do we get out of this problem? Um, and I don't know what the answer is because, you know, you raise rates higher to fight inflation, you crush everything. 
And if you capitulate and pivot and lower rates down to zero the way they always have in this environment, you destroy the dollar, everyone dumps it globally out of the bricks and bang, the same exact thing happens. You have hyperstagflation, the dollar gets dumped, rates go to the moon, everything collapsed. There, this is a problem. And maybe someone who figures a way out will win the Nobel Peace Prize in economics. But until then, I'm convinced that this is just getting started. Oh, well, I'd like to apply for that Nobel Peace Prize. Uh, you could do a reset, which I yes. still think. Well, that is what's coming. That is what they want. And it seems every day getting that much closer to that end game, the CBDC, the reset. And we'll, you'll owe nothing and be happy. You'll be happy for the reset. And don't worry, sign on the dotted line. And uh, Lael Brainer and her CBDC, you know, the number two in charge at the government, White House, will we'll roll out the CBDC for all those who are willing to be made whole if they just sign on the dotted line. And I don't think I'm too far off of where this is ultimately going. I guess only time will tell, but we shall see, my friend. Yeah, and we also did hear that Dutch central banker, geez, was that earlier this year or might might have been last year? Old revaluation account, yes, sir. Um, geez, we're in September already, so days go by quickly. But yeah, they were talking about using that gold revaluation account and certainly the potential for a gold or silver reset. Uh, now, interesting to wonder how effective that would be if it's not redeemable, but something that uh, at least I keep in the back of my mind and we'll see how that goes. One note, I know you were talking about a couple different interest rates there. Just for our viewer audience at home, we have a 4.3% yield on the 10-year and T-bills one year and shorter are just about 5.5%, depending on which duration, looking at between 5.4 and 5.5%. So just wanted to make sure we had that clear. And Andy, in the midst of all of that, I know premiums have been on the lower side uh, the last couple of months. I'm assuming that has not changed much if at all since last week, but just did want to touch in on that quickly. Yeah, I'm sorry. I was thinking the six month when I said five and a half. You're right. The 10 year did just hit 4.4 briefly yesterday. Um, yeah, premiums are low and they've stayed low. And the interesting thing about that is that, you know, we saw 160,000 ounces of gold to leave the COMEX vaults last week. Um, 500,000 ounces over the last uh, six days, you know, one month decline of 1.17 million ounces, um, you know, I, I guess that's silver. I, I guess, uh, you know, the, the big money is pulling metal off of the exchanges. And, and, and you know, I'm sure you're going to want to talk about this historic divergence between the gold price on COMEX and in China. The demand for physical metal in various parts of the sophisticated world um, are betraying the, the suppressed price and betraying the retail demand here in this industry. It's very confusing. It's very confusing when you read Ted Butler and he talks about this massive uh, shortage of, of industrial size bars. It's very confusing when you see, you know, 160,000 ounces of gold leave the COMEX and in a day and, and 500,000 over six days, 1.17 million ounces um, and a one month decline. And you, in silver, you're talking an environment where everything seems to be disappearing. And yet on the retail side, the demand is, is strong, it's okay. 
it, it's better than it's been most of my career, but the availability and the premiums and the prices have not reacted yet. So it, it's very strange. I would say if it continues to disappear off of the exchanges and we see these shortages where I don't know how many times uh, the, the registered category is rehypothecated or how many more contracts there are issued than there are ounces, how many more times, it's a lot. But that's the point. I mean, if, if there's that much more paper versus the availability, this is just a, 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 uh, an environment where you couldn't ask for a, be- a bigger gift if you're looking to buy gold and silver. I mean, the premiums and the prices are lower than they've ever been in four years. The availability is as good as it's ever been. And everywhere you look, things are flying off the shelves if you're looking at Comex, if you're looking at the LBMA, if you're looking at the Shanghai Gold Exchange or the Shanghai Futures Exchange, the stuff's disappearing. And the premiums on gold and silver retail here in the U.S. and the availability is as good as it's been literally since you and I started really doing these podcasts. So it's confusing as hell, Chris. But I guess I would simply say this, that the big money, the sophisticated money always is in place before the rest of us catch on to what's going on. And that's why you're seeing these deliveries. That's why you're seeing these drawdowns. And I think it's something to um, something to pay very close attention to. And I'm curious, have you seen, I'm guessing the answer is no, but have you seen any impact from those higher premiums that we're seeing right now in China? Again, it's been there for a little while, spiked up last week, came back in a bit today as China relaxed uh, their import quotas. So allowing some metal to flow back in there. Um, but does any of that filter through? Does that take a, a bit more of a longer time before you'd be seeing any impact in the physical market on the retail level? Well, I've been, I said this a long time ago. I said, this is how they win. I mean, I thought it would emanate from, in my mind's eye, I see this Moscow exchange. All they would need to do is set the, the AM fix and gold and, and, and silver at uh, the AMPM fix, whatever fix they do. In, in Moscow, set it, set the bid at 3000 bucks on gold and 50 bucks on silver and every single ounce would flow eastward. The arbitrage would bang, it would just be gone. The traders would make a fortune and then there'd be nothing left. And um, you have to be able to, the only people that are really gonna notice this at first would be people like JP Morgan who have an infrastructure set up where they know all the refineries and the miners and they do business with them all, the ETFs and, they have permits to work in, in all of these countries where, you know, most people wouldn't. And I think you'll see that by just how much money their metals desk makes. But it's almost as if they struck a deal. I mean, Jamie Dimon did go to China and met with Xi Jinping was the rumor. Uh, you know, maybe that's what they said. We'll give you your gold and silver. We'll allow this arbitrage. We'll make the money. You'll get the gold and silver. But draining Comex is the warm up, as far as I'm concerned. Uh, uh, it's it, the warm up for the gold oil trade and just wait until you have $300 oil and then what happens. So, I mean, it's one of these deals where, um, no, we're not seeing it yet, but you will as more and more and more of the industrial size bars leave Comex and leave the West and arbitrage to China where, you know, I don't know what it is today, but I know just the other day, it was a hundred dollar divergence. It was 2020 in China per ounce in 1909 here in the States. It's a 6% divergence. That's, that's ridiculous. That arbitrage will be 
will definitely be um, met with with outflows uh, heading to China. And so you will, when you see more and more and more of the bars being bled down that are used to actually make the coins. So this is early, but it's happening. And if I wanted to draw something up as the Chinese or the Russians in a way to get all the gold and silver, look, that's all you got to do is just make this an arbitrage situation where the make-believe price on COMEX is exposed. And, and it, this is the naked shorting system on COMEX, which distorts supply and demand and it plunders resources, and it should be abolished. And the only way to really abolish it, to expose it, to break it, will be to keep these prices in China well above the New York-London price. And that large premium means that gold will flow to the BRICS, to the OPEC countries, to the highest premium. And that's where you're going to find it. And those are the countries that are using it for a reason. I think it will be to back a new system. This is real. And again, they will be met with poo-poo and blah, blah, blah. I mean, all the naysayers can continue to naysay all they want. I don't care anymore. If you don't see what's happening, little by little by little by little by little by little, then bang, all at once. It will happen all at once. And it's happening little by little. Look at all of the things that we talk about every week, you know, and we haven't even talked about the bricks yet. But that's the point is that it's a big deal. I think it will become a very big deal also as if it stays at these levels or even goes higher. Yeah, the traders, the JP Morgan traders and the big bullion bank traders will make a fortune playing that arbitrage game. And then the East will have all the gold and silver and the COMEX will be rendered neutered. And I would argue that then a more accurate reflection of a system that is cash and carry like the Shanghai Gold Exchange versus the COMEX or the LBMA, which are highly leveraged, they just go by the wayside as something that once was and, and a more um, realistic uh, measurement or gauge or marketplace for the countries that have all the metal anyway, well, they'll be the ones that will, will make the rules because there's an old saying, he who has the gold makes the rules. And it just seems that that's where all the gold is going. Not only they're the largest producers and accumulators and, you know, on top of um, the fact that everything is flowing that way off of the exchanges, it's not a good sign. Well, it is not, but in terms of rules, uh, we did have a question that came in this week for you, and someone is wondering your thoughts on if the Western Central Banks do jam a CBDC down everybody's throat, or at least attempt to. Do you see a divergence and perhaps almost like a two-tiered economy forming where one is running on the CBDCs and parallel to that, you have something based on precious metals? Any thoughts along those lines? You know, if you would have asked me that question anytime over the last few years, I said, nah, I don't think so. Maybe a black market. And and this is one of the interesting things, you know, like if you try to look at, try to find um, meaning in things, um, you try to look at things from a bigger perspective, a broader perspective. Um, things happen even when you think you have a grasp on the world, things happen like COVID, like who would have ever saw that coming and um, like censorship, who would have ever saw that coming or all of the things that, that we talk about, the way that the nation is doing things and the obsessions that we have that used to never even come into 
uh, someone's furthest fragment of their imagination. But when you talk about the fact that there are all of these states, Texas and Missouri and Kansas and North Carolina and Arkansas and Oklahoma and Idaho and you know, on and on and on these states that have passed legislation to allow gold and silver to be legal tender. When you see uh, one voice of reason, uh, I think his name is Tom Emmers, uh, my old, old home state of Minnesota, trying to pass a legislation to push back against the CBDC. There are people out there that are standing up and these legislations say, you know, that gold and silver coins made by a sovereign government, some like Texas say just US, most say any sovereign government past or present would be uh, allowable uh, and to be used as legal tender for all debts, public and private, including doing things like paying your property taxes. And yeah, I guess you're beginning to see what I believe is at least a resistance, something I never thought I would see. I mean, Whoever thought that you would see the ability to go pay your property taxes with Silver Eagles? And it's interesting, you know, here's an old uh, MS-65 St. Gordon. No one's going to use that to as a $20 coin. But the thing of it is, is that the law says it's the gold content plus any market premium. And so those entities that want to take it would have to know what it's worth. And maybe that information gets out to places shops in Texas or Missouri or North Carolina or Arkansas or Idaho or Alaska or Oklahoma. I mean, the list goes on and on. Is that the resistance? Yeah, maybe it is. Maybe it is a two-tiered system. Maybe, you know, maybe just maybe uh, there are people that are wise enough to understand what is coming. And then you look at, you know, how can that be stopped? Well, it stopped if the CBDC replaces other forms of money and they just don't allow you to buy it any longer or transact, then it becomes a black market or you're just trading in these states with gold and silver, period. There's so many what ifs. And I hate to even go down all of these rabbit holes. That's part of the reason I don't sleep uh, because I think about this stuff nonstop. And um, I will tell you that I don't think, and honestly, I mean this, that owning gold and silver has ever been more important, ever, never, uh, for reasons just like that, or reasons uh, are, are protecting yourself against, you know, what's happening to the dollar, what's happening to interest rates, what's happening to the markets. And we haven't even really seen what could happen if Saudi Arabia and OPEC ditched dollar for sole settlement of oil. Look, everyone tries to hedge what they're saying and saying this isn't going to happen overnight, and I agree. That guy's like Brent Johnson from Santiago Capital. Brilliant guy. Makes a very compelling story. I don't disagree with him. He, he hedges his bet and says it's going to definitely have big effects on the dollar over time, but it can't happen all at once. And, and I agree with him, but I don't agree with him. I mean, I think it, it's been happening until it does happen all at once. Don't know when it is. But you have very smart guys like Brent who are who are pushing back on, on the opposite side of the equation or, or other argument. I buy it. Uh, I think there's val validity in what he says. But I really do think that this is something that is a trend in motion that will be very difficult to stop. And, you know, to Brent's point, it will happen at some point. I think he would argue it's probably years away. I don't think so. I think it's getting closer and closer and closer. 
Um, and I want to read one thing to you after you talk about this real quick. I'm going to read something to you. And, and this is why it's happening. Okay. This is an email or not an email. This is a letter uh, from a, from a guy named Haidir Al-Shama. He's the spokesman for the 14 Iraqi sanctioned banks. And he said on Wednesday that the sanctions could further weaken the Iraqi's currency, blah, blah, blah. He says, forcing sanctions on a third of the Iraqi private banks for conducting dollar transactions will have negative consequences, not only on the value of the dinar against the dollar, but will have a huge impact on foreign investments, blah, blah, blah. Here's where it gets interesting. Now think about this if you're in another country, okay? And this is, the, this is what's bringing everyone to the table. The sanctions are the latest effort by Washington to coercively intervene in Iraq's economy. This is a country that we went and liberated, right? Supposedly, even though we didn't find the weapons of mass destruction, destroyed their, their economy and their, their country. We're sorry, no big deal, no penalty, right? Well, here's what happens. Um, and this is the sanctions are the latest effort by Washington to coercively intervene in Iraq's economy to the detriment of the country the U.S. Army illegally invaded and occupied in 2003. This intervention includes efforts to block Iraqi payments, Iraqi payments for Iranian natural gas, which has led to power blackouts in Iraqi's blistering hot summer in recent weeks. Now, here's where it gets really interesting. Since 2003, all Iraqi oil revenues have been paid into an account with the U.S. Federal Reserve, allowing Washington to control the Iraqi economy further and pressure its government. Although Iraqis formed an, an allegedly sovereign government after the U.S. invasion, Iraq is still restricted from opening accounts for its oil earnings outside the U.S. I mean, are you kidding me? Iraq's oil funds, which in 2022 amounted to more than $90 billion, remain in one single account in the New York Fed. The institution that two years ago unilaterally blocked Afghanistan from accessing its foreign reserves, plunging the nation into an unparalleled crisis. Do you see what I'm talking about here? I mean, if that doesn't piss off the majority of the world, here's a country, the U.S., we go in under a guise of weapons of mass destruction. We don't find them. We destroy the, the country. We destroy the economy. And now we control all the money they make for oil, all of their banks. We can sanction them. I mean, do you see how pissed off that would make the, these countries and the rest of the world? What if this was happening in the United States? Just put the shoe on the other foot for a minute. And that is the rallying cry that people are missing. This is a really big, 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 big deal. Why do you think these countries are striking deals, make, mending fences with Iran? Why do you think Iran is mending fences with Saudi Arabia? Why do you think these countries are joining together in, a, in the BRICS Naval Alliance? Why do you think these countries are trading with one each other, even if it's trading like this massive deal that that China just won from Iran to, to modernize their biggest airport, it's going to be traded for oil, not for dollars, for oil. These countries are sick and tired of being coerced and bullied by the West, who they view as wholly hypocritical, who after everything that they've done, they still control all their money held in the New York Fed and they're screwed. There's nothing new about it, right? If that doesn't open people's eyes to the way the world looks at the United States, I don't know what does. And it's real. And this is why they are doing what they what, what they are doing in a very methodical fashion. You know, people will say, well, what August 22nd was a nothing burger. Bullshit. It was a nothing burger. You got the majority of the world's oil now signed up to the BRICS. 
you have the majority of the Eurasian landmass now signed up to the BRICS. You throw in the Eurasian Economic Union and the Shanghai Gold, uh, Shanghai Cooperation Organization, and they're going to join. In fact, there's a there is a new meeting that's going to be uh, formed here in just the next few weeks to do just that. You're talking the majority of human population, and it's real and it's serious, and the things that we are doing. Um, are having a real impact on not only on our future, but the way that the rest of the world looks at us. And so when you talk about oil prices going higher, it is just beginning. And at the same time, we've mothballed all of our oil and, and, and we're canceling uh, permits and we're doing all of the wrong things. So inflation's not going anywhere. The banks are in big trouble. Energy is going higher. The economy's in trouble. Commercial real estate's on the ropes. I mean, you go on and on and on. Household savings the lowest level ever, household debt at the highest level ever, ever. I mean, keep on going and ask yourself, do you, I mean, when you hear of people saying soft landing, I mean, really? Are you really being honest? Or are you just, do they just know more and more about less and less till they know everything about nothing? And I think this is something that, that um, it, I look at it, you know, I'm sure people will say he's talking his book. Look, Chris, uh, you know me well enough. I consider you in this industry one of my very best friends, maybe my best friend in this industry. Um, someone who I consider a friend if we never did business together ever. You know me. And I, I just hate the fact that people don't believe that capitalism uh, from a company that started from nothing uh, but a loan from my dad's friend in a one-room office 33 years ago in Minneapolis, the size of a closet, while a capitalistic idea, something I'm so proud of, I built a business from nothing. I didn't even graduate college. Tried to, but I didn't because I went to work to start this company with my dad. Um, just a normal guy who got lucky, worked hard, made friends, kept his nose clean, made relationships, never broke his word, did the right things, had strong fingertips, did hold on. And here I am 33 years later talking to you, thanking God that this country gave me all of these opportunities that, that it did. And I just hate the fact that there are people out there who think that capitalism and good intentions have to be mutually exclusive. I want people to do well. I'm trying to help people the best I can. And those who don't want to listen to me, well, I say a lot of the same things over and over and over again because they keep on turning out to be right, which scares the shit out of me even more. And, uh, and I'm doing this because I feel that's, that's what I... I just, it makes me feel good to do this. I'm not going to try to be holier than thou and say this is my mission in life. But I can tell you that something's driving me to do this. Don't know exactly what it is. But I believe the things I'm telling you are real and they're coming and they're, they're accelerating. And uh, if you suffer from recency and normalcy bias, and you don't see what's coming. I feel sorry for you. Because if you're 60 seconds late, you're dead in the water. Uh, better to be... Um, I don't know, six years early than 60 seconds late. So it's real. And just look at what happened last night. <laughs> I don't know if you can um, see it, but last night, the, the yield on the two-year treasury spiked up dramatically, spiked up 6% in a matter of seconds, and it came back down. Now what happens if something like that's for real? And, and OPEC says, we're done. We're done taking dollars. And Yields spike up 60% in an hour. What happens? 
that's the moment I've been talking about the little by little by little by little by little by little by little bang all at once. And Mike Adams calls that Operation Sandman, where all of these countries have it in mind after their little by little by little by little by little is taken care of, that they all at once dump dollars. That's the plan now. I don't know where he got that information. He's one of the smartest dudes I know. Um, the health ranger, Mike Adams. And um, is there an Operation Sandman in our future? Don't know. But God bless you for letting me ramble on and say these things. You know, I love you like a brother outside of work and, and while we're here doing this. But I do want you to know and everyone listening, my intentions are pure and uh, and true and um you'll never meet someone more convicted who do, who does what he says more than i do and let's just say i hope i'm wrong but day by day i'm beginning to believe more and more that i'm not the only part that i'm not going to nail probably will be the timing and i'll let you all try to figure out when that happens but when you see these things continue to accelerate shit we're getting closer that's for sure well i get what you're saying i can also understand why People wonder, is this something that we always hear about, but never happens because you've had a way of life that we've known for so long. And I don't know, maybe it's a good thing that it takes a long time. For, well, on one hand, not a good thing, but on the other hand, good that there this, this has been developing for as long as it has and that you can see some of these signs. Remember, uh, it was 2009 when I first got into gold and silver and debt load was just probably under 10 trillion then. And remember seeing how things had escalated in that decade during the second Bush administration. And I mean, I remember back then it seemed hard to imagine that we we're going to see spending cuts anytime in our near future, then pile on quantitative easing and these other things, which, <clears throat> you know, it's good that perhaps things didn't collapse back then. So people can, have some time to digest what's happening and see what's happening. It's unfortunate the way many of these trends are developing, especially especially with the military intervention. Um, obviously, in some places, makes life physically dangerous and perhaps just as hard on people, the economic impact that these things have in different places. So I get what you're saying. And, um, you know, I'm, I'm glad you pointed out and heavy stuff for people to hear sometimes and to sit there and watch and to talk about all the time, although it's what's happening. So, uh, well, here's another one for you, by the way, Venezuela has just formally applied to BRICS. They have the largest oil reserve in the world, supposedly, and a mass of natural gas and uh, reserve and lots of other raw materials. You know, you got Turkey who, who has expressed interest in joining the BRICS after they were just told by the European Union that they there is no possibility of them joining soon. So the head of, of Turkey, uh, what a, a Rodin his name is, came out and said that, you know, hey, we'll make our own evaluations and, and if we need to leave the EU, we will. Well, that couldn't be any better for them. They want to join the BRICS. And you got all of these countries who are now promising to trade outside the dollar. India just purchased a million barrels of oil from the United Arab Emirates and settled in rupee. Those always settled in dollars. And India and Saudi Arabia are now formally discussing ways to conduct their business without using the dollar. And so these things are happening faster and faster and faster and faster and faster. And every day there's something else to talk about. But 
I like that Iraqi story for people who understand this is how the West does things through coercion and bullying. Whereas the BRICs are about mutual cooperation where they're coming in and building you know, refineries and wells and, and mines and roads and bridges, and maritime channels and all of these things to mutually cooperate with one another. And never has the old saying, my enemy's enemy is my friend, been more relevant. These things are real. And um, I guess only time will tell, Chris. But that's why I say gold and silver are not an investment, they're wealth. I'm not telling you to go do this to get rich. I'm telling people to have a component of metals in their portfolio to protect themselves because if you don't see how this is 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 now accelerating faster and faster and faster and every single day then you're not paying attention and if you think the us will find a way out well just remember we have 155 trillion in debt with 5 trillion in assets of which over 40% is student debt and then all of the things we talked about how indebted the public is how little savings they have how rates keep rising, all of these factors. And then ask yourself, is this a country the same way it was after World War II and the Great Depression that is unified and united, who respect authority and, and the nuclear family and work hard and, and believe in religion and all of the things that made this country strong and, and connected and unified and united? I don't think it is. So are we really the country that has what it takes, the resolve to push back against this, I, I don't know. But uh, at some point it becomes every man and woman for themselves. And uh, hence my wife's uh, SUV, the window's getting shattered at uh, Walmart today because uh, it's getting tough out there. I guess you need to break into cars in order to uh, have money to uh, buy stuff at Walmart. Uh, you know, it's just more and more and more. It just seems everywhere we turn. So I don't want to be the buzzkill. I'm sure people don't want to hear all this stuff. I wish I didn't speak this way, but at least I'm getting it off my chest. And, uh, you know, I will say it was wonderful to see you the other night, even though my Vikings lost. It was that damn accordion player that drove me absolutely insane. And I swear that's why the Vikings lost. But anyways, um, Andy, Andy was upset with the local accordion player at his at his uh, watering hole. So. I mean, I, who, who the hell brings an accordion player to watch Thursday Night Football? I wanted to kill this guy. Honestly, I did. But anyways. Well, I'm going to bring him outside your window for your birthday so you can rest oh, assured about that. It was awful. Um, but, yeah, Chris, man, well, I I, I want to keep doing these. I want to see this through with you. And, uh, and I'm so happy that you're down here in Florida where we can actually spend time together and talk about these things in person. And, um because there are very few people I've met in this industry who are as insightful as you are in so many different ways. And I say that not so much for the things we talk about in business, but for the, you know, the millions of hours we've talked off air here on the telephone or whatnot about life and bigger things than investing, but they're all connected. And I'm just I'm honored to be here with you and, and, uh, and call you a friend and, and thank you for letting me be so honest and candid. And uh, I guess we'll see, let the chips fall where they may, and we'll see what happens. But hopefully, if nothing else, there are people who open their eyes just a little bit more and make their own appraisal as to what all of these things that I see, what do they mean? What do they mean to you? And 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 hopefully, um, you know, hopefully we've helped just a few people. So anyways, I appreciate it. I'll get off my soapbox now.
Yeah, it was good talk, and certainly could be an interesting stretch of life in the years ahead. Uh, there's some days where I find it a little bit overwhelming seeing how all of these things shake out and knowing that for a lot of people in the U.S. and countries everywhere, life not necessarily so easy right now, but um, we'll see how it shakes out and do the best that we can and see see what is next for life on planet Earth. And um, before we wrap up, Andy, anything on special in the silver world today that people should know about? Yeah, everything's on special again, but uh, we do have quarter ounce gold eagles at $59.99 over melt value. Take the price of gold, divide by four at $59.99. And five ounce uh, silver Nordic bars uh, from the Nordic Mint. They are recently IRA approved. They were ISO approved recently. We got them approved. They're very cool. They're the Tree of Life bar. They're super neat. Uh, they're a buck ninety nine over spot per ounce for five ounce Nordic mint IRA approved silver bars. But I mean, look, everything is basically on sale and any questions you have or want a, a price list independent of the prices that you see on our website, which only go up to $10,000. After that, the price list gets more competitive, much more. Uh, send an email to or questions to uh, Arcadia at Miles Franklin and we'll get them answered and addressed and uh just uh, look forward to coming back here uh, next week and seeing what other crazy things have transpired in the short period of time. Well, we'll have a whole whole new Fed meeting to talk about, amongst other things. So going to let you run for now. But thanks, as always, for making some time this week. And we will check in with you, with you next week. Love you like a brother, man. Take it easy, Chris. Thanks. Well, thank you, Andy, as always, for this week's update and laying out the things that are going on out there. Certainly not the most ideal economic conditions, but as we mentioned, at least can be prepared for what's coming and see what's out there. Somewhat unfortunate that some of these things aren't covered as much in the mainstream news, but at least try to point out what is going on. And certainly good that in the midst of all this, silver premiums remain on the low side. So hopefully that is helping people out there a little bit as well. And before we wrap up, did want to thank BlackRock Silver who brought us today's episode. BlackRock did release their maiden resource estimate on their Tonopah West project last year, which came in at 42.6 million ounces of silver equivalent. They are planning an updated resource estimate for later this year based on the step-out drilling they've done on the project, which has expanded the size of their mineralization. And also that's in addition to their lithium mineralization that they discovered on their Tonopah North site. And they are expecting a resource estimate later this year or early next year on that one. So that is the deal they partnered with Tierlac Resources on, who is doing the drilling and development there. So plenty happening. You can find out more at blackrocksilver.com. Appreciate them supporting our show and bringing you silver news each day. Hope you're having a great day out there, and I will see you again tomorrow.